the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to episode six of the Women's Running Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Emma Kirk Odenubi, one of the growing number of Instagram stars. But while others on the gram are all style and no substance, Emma's feed is full of practical advice. From running drills to shoe guides, she should be your number one follow if you've just started running. And frankly, even if you've been doing it a while, her stuff on how to lace your shoes is a little bit mind-blowing. In this, we chat about shoes. She really knows her shoes. If you want to know what you should be buying if you can't get to a physical shop, then she's got the best advice right here. We also talk about her incredible fitness achievements, from her Guinness World Record for running 100 metres in ski boots to thrashing 24 hours of burpees non-stop. Emma is a force to be reckoned with. And yet, at the same time, she's so lovely and so encouraging of newbies. She doesn't want any of us to compare our efforts with others, and we thoroughly agree with that sentiment. She also talks about what she's missing on lockdown, and yes, it's crazy gym classes, but it's also brunch with her mates. We like this woman a lot. Have you got the latest copy of Women's Running? If you're missing it, the easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Or you could get it delivered direct to your door every month by subscribing. If you prefer instant access, then digital is for you. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com 
or download the app to your phone or tablet via your app store and you can read it straight away wherever you are. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk. I feel a bit kind of fangirly because I see you on Instagram all the time and this is the first time I've spoken to you in the flesh. <laughs> so it's a bit like I'm seeing a TV star. <laughs> <laughs> you just you you do so much on Instagram at the moment. Do you enjoy that medium? Yeah, I, I kind of I started Instagram when I was using it for just training diary, like basically back when Instagram started, like eight nine years ago, and then realised that with the knowledge and the stuff that I had, I could help people. And then I'd say probably it became what it is today, probably about a year ago year two years ago where I started actually sharing kind of footwear information and um, trainer reviews and then sort of SNC stuff and it kind of just built from there and then I suppose lockdown with all the extra free time we've all had um, I just thought you know what I can't just there's only so much Netflix you can watch so <laughs> I just started making content and yeah basically asking people what they wanted and what they were searching for because so many runners were kind of appearing out of nowhere so yeah and that's how it's just kind of grown ridiculously in the last three months um so i'm going to go back to the beginning because i've not i've not really introduced you um which i will do when i'm kind of you know proper and professional you will have a proper introduction um but i've just been like google stalking you um sorry and um (laughs) (laughs) and i've just got a list of all the stuff that you do that seems to be kind of on your current cv and it, it there's masses so um as a bit of a snapshot, I know from your website uh, that uh, you're a runner, which is helpful for us, um, <laughs> that you're also um, a CrossFit fanatic and a strength and conditioning coach. You're a trainer at Track Life London, I think, um, a level one British weightlifting coach, which I think is really amazing. Um, and you're, I know that you're an ambassador for Under Armour. Oh, there was once I saw you doing some strength and conditioning work and you're wearing a jacket that I have. And I was like, oh! I have this jacket. <laughs> I'm so thrilled. <laughs> really cool gear. Um, so I'm sure there's loads more that I've missed out um, there. But um, just to begin with, how did you get into all of that? So I think I was thinking about this the other day because I kind of I always loved sport since I was a kid. So I was four years old when I when I was four. I told my mum I wanted to be Olympian that was what I wanted to do um and obviously without knowing the whole background of it but from that point on any sports club that I could join I would do I tried to join cross country but I was too young which was when I was like five and then slowly slowly kind of tried everything from trampolining to table tennis to football you name it I tried it basically and then um went to uni did sports science just because I loved sport and thought that was a natural progression and sort of found my way using my love of trainers and training and sort of fell into going down the strength conditioning route I think um the background that I'd anticipated was going to be more trainers for a longer period of time um and then I realized that obviously fitness and running was a massive passion of mine and that I'd almost be doing a disservice to myself if I didn't follow that through and then share that with other people. So yes, still love trainers, still love everything about sort of footwear and biomechanics. It nicely ties in with what I already kind of do in terms of fitness coaching and everything else. So yeah, I kind of fingers in loads of different pies is kind of what I did as a kid. And I kind of suppose I'm still doing it now. 
so um so tell me about your experience at school i mean it's a, it's such a big question that i ask everyone really because everyone there's such a kind of you know a wealth of experience um and and people get into sport because they either really loved their experience at school or they didn't so um what was yours like so primary school for me i don't remember too vividly but all i know is that i love pe i live for pe um whether that was those old school gymnastics equipment that used to pull out in the halls and like climb in and out of all of them thought that was amazing um i remember days when we used to get like swiss balls coming in and i was like this is something new so primary school is just, like, I suppose, the fun side of PE, which I think sports should be always now anyway. Um, and then secondary school, I kind of still built on that joy of it. Um, but also because at that point I started to beat the boys or something. So um, my first main, I suppose you could say, um, athletic ability was when I was in year eight, so I was 13, 14 years old. And uh, we were doing athletics and we were doing discus and I picked up a discus and basically threw it further than all the boys. My teacher was an ex-athlete, um, she used to be a high jumper and she was like, Emma, do you fancy coming down the track? Let me introduce you to someone. So then I got introduced to my local track in Brighton and um, yeah, from that point on I threw discus and shot put for nigh on seven, eight years, um, competed at county level, did national competitions for my county, um one county champs and that stuff so that's kind of i'd say my first proper foray into going a little bit more athlete-esque but in terms of back to school i'd say that was it really and then obviously as a as a girl growing up it's kind of not cool to like sport and everyone was like forget their PE kit and things like that and for me growing up that was the thing i always remembered so i was always with my PE kit i'd always stay for the article clubs the netballs the cross countries athletics um yeah, I was kind of the teacher's pet of the P department because if they needed anyone to do anything, they were like, oh, Emma, we've got some indoor cricket, fancy it? I was like, sure. Emma, we need a goalkeeper for hockey. You want to jump in? Sure. So that that was kind of my experience and how I then ended up going into sort of GCSEs. I chose PE, A-level, I chose PE. So it, yeah, for me, it was a love all the way through, but also the benefit of kind of being better than some of the boys because I was always quite competitive. Was it, um, was it, because you talk about uh, like your peers being a bit, I've forgotten my PE kit, um, something that I remember a lot at school. Um, <laughs> so was it ever a negative experience? Did you ever get any kind of negativity from your peers at that time? Not that I can think of. People just sort of knew me as the sporty kid. So it was never sort of frowned upon or anything like that. Obviously, yes, it goes through a phase when you're a teenager and goes like, oh, I don't want to get sweaty. And I was like, meh. Yeah. I just enjoy running it was just who I was and I wasn't about to change that for anyone or anything so um I think I kind of if I did even know that they were acknowledging it I just like oh okay so you're not my people that's fine um yeah I didn't really let it affect me sport was always the one thing um even at primary school there was a point when I was learning to play clarinet and it got to a point where they moved the lesson time to the same time as PE I said I can't do it so it, honestly it kind of overshadowed a lot of things you never know, I could have been a, a world-class clarinetist. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word. But, uh, yeah, that'll do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then you went to university, you studied, you studied sport at university. Um, so yeah. what, what happened, what was that experience like and, and what happened next? So university, I went to Brunel, um, West London, really, really great sporting university um, in terms of 
kind of the, the course that was taught, but also the athletes that I was able to surround myself with. So that was when I was still very focused on um, my throwing. And Brunel had an indoor athletic centre. They also had massive outdoor facilities as well. And um, I was very fortunate to train with lots of up-and-coming GB athletes. So um, Linford Christie had his group at Brunel that trained at the weekends. Um, Usain Bolt used to come to Brunel in the summer and do some of his summer training around campus. So we just had that sort of calibre of athlete wanting to come to our university, which was amazing. Um, Ashley Bryant, who got Commonwealth silver medal at Decathlon, I used to train with him for a couple of years actually because I was part of the multi-events group for my throwing so I would see how they train and sort of be with me six days a week and then on the flip side to that I also then took netball very seriously when I was at university um the netball team at Brunel there were seven teams and throughout those seven teams we kind of had a mix all the way from kind of top premier league all the way down to your sort of Saturday league so it was a real vast um group of people but along with that we trained four or five times a week so combined with athletics there were times when I was training seven to eight times a week just for the pure love of it um but yeah I did definitely overtrain during that period of time I had to rein that back in um a few times when I got injured because yeah I was pushing my body too much even though I was enjoying it and loving it that was when I realized you know what I'm not superhuman and the injuries came up and things like that so yeah completed university and um along during that time between I think it was my second and third year was when I started working at Nike um and I worked on the women's floor so it was a big Nike town in Oxford Circus and it, I have to say to this day it was one of the most incredible group of people I've ever worked with um so diverse from all different backgrounds and it was just yeah, it was one of the best communities of people I'd had the kind of pleasure of working with and also learned so much. Um, and yeah, I did sort of your classic selling of footwear and clothing, but also they had gay analysis there as well, which is obviously running analysis. And they kind of didn't use it too much. But with my background from kind of doing gay analysis back in Brighton when I was 13 through to before I went to university, um, just as a part-time job and through the summer but it had always been something that had run consistent with me so when I saw it I kind of jumped at the chance to be able to utilize it in that space and um, yeah one day it just got to a point um, and I think I'd just graduated at this point and my boss said look I don't think we're going to be going much further with the gate analysis right now in store it's going a different direction um, and I at that point she was like look genuinely for you like hand on heart I think you need to go away and grow and and do what you need to do, which was amazing to have someone say that to me um, and be that honest as well. And then from that point, I then ended up working at a place called Profit, um, which is a biomechanics gate analysis lab, I suppose, the simplest way you can call it, but on the high street for people. So that was sort of how my university years then went into everyday life, I suppose. So. Um to to can we talk about your running a little bit um so i want to know what your favorite kind of running is um what kind of training you do during the week um and what your favorite sort of running is so for me running in general i i started running i've always been running as such obviously because all different sports that i did and everything but pure just running um i actually started using it just for mental headspace to start with that was where 
I kind of went to after I'd left university I was like I haven't got that community of people or group of people what can I do I haven't got the availability of space and everything else um that comes with having the luxury of an indoor track and everything else so I was like what can I do put on shoes so I put on shoes went out the door and just kind of clarity headspace and that's how I fell in love with that that running um at the time especially after university I was battling with a little bit of grief um because my dad passed away in my first year of university so when I left that uni bubble I came out of it and was like okay everything sort of hit me and I was into reality again and my main way of coping was by running so that gave me that sort of endorphins that headspace to think and process so that's where my first sort of use for running came from and then from there I just loved the same competitive nature of it with myself I just loved the challenge of it so was then doing my first 10k um which was um do you remember the we own the night series that Nike yeah, did? So that was my first ever 10K. I barely trained for it. I just thought, I'm going to do a 10K. And I think I did it in like, still came in on the hour just. But I was broken human. I was, I, I was like, I love it. Let's do it again. So I love that challenge. Um, and then built up and ran 10Ks, half. and just fell in love with the process of learning how to get better and run faster. Um, combined with the fact that I love strength training as well I knew that it was a massive part of the fact that I was fairly strong at the time and then putting that into the running on the road so I still say my favorite distances are probably between 10k and half I quite like a 10 miler which I did once before um what was it great south run mm -hmm. that was a really nice distance to run I really enjoyed that so I say that's probably my favorite but then obviously I can't deny that I don't enjoy a marathon. I love the process of it. I love the sort of build up. And then obviously race day when you sort of tackle and take on everything that you've sort of put towards for those last few weeks. Um, so yeah, I'd say probably between 10K and half, but I do love a, a marathon as well. So so what's been uh, your worst race and what's been your, your favourite? <laughs> My worst race, probably Brighton Marathon in... Oh, I want to say 2017 or 2018. It might have been 2018. Well, we had that massive heat wave over April for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. um, and even the day before Brighton Marathon, I remember picking up my number and they said to us, hey, don't worry, it's going to be 15 degrees tomorrow. We've seen the temperatures might go up a little bit, but it's all going to be fine. And I was like, okay, fine. It's all going to be great. Got to race day, woke up in the morning, 23 degrees was predicted. <sighs> and it was that year when during when the long run would have been so like the three weeks prior we'd had snow on the ground yeah. so it was about three four degrees that we'd all done our long distances in and everything else three weeks later it was 23 degrees so I remember setting off and I was like okay I'm fine and I don't know if you've done or know the Brighton course you go around a um, sort of hilly area nine to about 13 miles out down the coast and then you come back through along the seafront into the city and out through there I thought okay I was like okay a few rolling hills we can do this turned the corner and I kid you not hit mile 16 and just felt everything felt the heat felt the humidity as well and um yeah it was one of the hardest races I've ever done I got to mile 24 and one of my friends Laura she was on the side lines and she basically just came and walked onto the seafront alongside me and was like you've got to keep going like you, you you have to keep going and I was at this point like doubled over like holding my stomach I was I was like I'm done I'm fully done 
the irony of the whole thing is when I did cross the line, I still ended up with a two minute PB. <laughs> but it just was, I know, the irony. It was like my most painful race ever, but I still ended up with a PB. So for me, I think I still have unfinished business at the marathon because since Brighton, I did one other, um, which actually was my favourite, was London. Um, and ironically, London was my slowest time ever, but I enjoyed it more than ever and I think it was as I was saying before because of the process of the marathon and the journey so when I got my place at London I had just um well been recovering from a labral tear in my left hip quite severely didn't end up having surgery for it but couldn't walk for three four weeks when it initially happened and could barely run but when I got my entry to say that I got through it and um with the help of the incredible Jocelyn Thompson rule um worth her on my on her my programming for me to build up to that race because I feel like I needed someone to to direct me through and make sure and keep me accountable for doing the rehab work still and slowly building up because I knew what I was like <laughs> so that was for me the biggest journey and just being able to get to that start line on race day was a feat in itself again of course it was boiling hot and <laughs> that just seems how I run marathons these days I've never had a cold one so um and yeah loved every minute of it London it just is that vibe that everyone talks about it's just it's incredible and I remember crossing that line just under five hours didn't care about the time I was just like I can't believe I've done it I've I've overcome something that could have completely ended my running career and and now I feel on top of the world so for me that was definitely the the creme de la creme of races but um as i said i think i've got unfinished business for the marathon so it was going to be 2020 but we'll just put it to 2021 for now um to take on another so what are your plans um like post lockdown in an ideal world would is that what you'd be heading for next would be would it be london 21 yeah in a dream world i think um that's that's what i'd want to try and do i might even defeat my demons and tackle brighton again just because maybe i want to have that you know go back and conquer it and not have the memories because Brighton's my hometown as well so it's kind of every time I think about that race I'm like Ugh. um but yeah in a dream world I think it would probably be London just because I, I absolutely loved it or um I did look at where was I looking I want to say Barcelona marathon as well because I've heard good things about that course so that was also contemplating but again weather for me is a big one because my body just takes the heat um so yes it was all all resting on that um i do also have a potential other idea to do another charity event um because this year is five years since i did my 24 hours of burpees for cancer research yeah i was gonna go so i was gonna <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna try and think of a way to commemorate that or do something again to raise money so that was another thing in the back of my mind for for this year um let's well i had all these other questions about stuff but let's let's talk about the burpees because you've mentioned them so i was reading on your on your blog about um how you did this as as something in your father's memory um that you decided to do take on 24 hours of burpees um so that sounds really really bad um <laughs> so can you explain why you decided to do that precisely and and what that was like Totally. So my my thinking behind it was um, the reason I wanted to do a 24 hour challenge specifically was that obviously when when people 
suffer or diagnose with cancer, you can't just, you know, switch it off and be like, okay, I'm done with it. So 24 hours for me kind of represented that people who have cancer have to deal with that 24 hours a day constantly. And then because obviously it's, it's one of the hardest things I think anyone could possibly go through is I, I chose a, a movement, which is probably one of the hardest that people talk about in, in fitness, which is a burpee. So that's, that's where the idea came from. It was just combining those two things. And then obviously looking back, I'm like, why did I think that? Why did I just go, yeah, why not? Let's do that. But it, yeah, there was, there was place and method behind that, that idea of it. And um, yeah, it was something I will definitely never forget. So, and I mean, as kind of the formative reason for this was um, overcoming or, or, or talking about your grief. Um, and you speak really candidly about that on your website. I thought it was a really beautiful piece that you wrote. Um, but you also talked about how you'd used exercise as a coping mechanism. Um, can you can you explain how that worked? Yeah, definitely. So when... I left university that was kind of the, the main time when grief hit me I feel like when I was at university because I had friends surrounding me I had all these new experiences and everything else and I just turned 19 and was just kind of wide world of learning everything so I think those three years I was just in a bubble and I didn't really think that kind of he died really in my head I hadn't clocked it acknowledged it and I didn't really visit home too much either so I wasn't very aware of what had happened so when I left university went and moved into live on my own for a short period of time um that's when everything hit me so classically couldn't get out of bed didn't want to get out of bed couldn't really be bothered to eat properly all those kind of things and I was just sort of spiraling down and just into my own head and I knew that fitness for me was always a, a, something that brought me happiness so by adding that running or training, whatever it was, I knew that if I had that set in my day, that was something to kind of tick off and say that it was a success. So mentally, by going, right, if I can do that bit of exercise, that's success. If I can get that little bit stronger or that little bit faster, that's going to be a tick and that would then boost my mood. And then I'll be able to think about, right, for the next day, okay, let's see how I feel. But if I can do one more thing, that's something else and for me I just use that as a mechanism to be able to go right I can get through that next day because I know I've got that planned I can get through that next day and that's how when it was at its worst I kind of made my way through um don't get me wrong with that did then come some some injury because I then got to the point where I relied on it so much that I was like train 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 and that's all I did I kind of tried to train my way through it and then also realized that wasn't the right answer too so for me, it was finding that that balance between it, um, but also enabling me to then process what my head was trying to process at the same time. And exercise gave me that headspace. So for me, yeah, one of the most difficult times of my life, probably the most, but I learned so much about myself and the, the power of fitness and running, especially running, how that made a huge difference as well. I think loads of us use exercise as a way in which we can kind of compartmentalize our life you, you know you don't have to think about stuff while you're doing the thing that you're doing um but at what point does that coping mechanism become a sort of controlling issue do you did you experience that definitely and i think that it got to a point sometimes where i'd almost forget about social 
situations and things that say events or things that were happening because I was like no no I've got to do that fitness thing or there were points where I got obsessive with my food and I'd kind of use that as a way to be able to control because that's what I could control I couldn't control maybe the emotions and the thoughts and everything in my head but I can control what I ate and control what I did fitness wise and yeah you're right it, it becomes sort of a, a latched on mechanism that I could have the control because there were other areas of my life that I didn't have control in so it can be difficult and I think it's definitely acknowledging it and I also had like a very good core group of running friends around me who um would also acknowledge it and be like hey didn't you do that and that the other day and have you done x y and z so having that good group of friends around you being like hang on a minute you might be doing too much or people just checking in and being like hey just wanted to see how you doing today what are you doing that sort of stuff will just sort of level level your mind a little bit as well and um the one thing one thing i really want to talk to you about was shoes because um you're a massive shoe nerd if you don't mind me saying um i am and i think <laughs> one of the first videos i saw of you that made me um follow you in the first place was um you were doing some lacing tips and i was like it was just this revelation. I was like, oh my God, because I've got a high instep. And you were like, here's how you can lace your shoes so they don't hurt your feet. You've got a high instep. And I was like, what? This blows my <laughs> tiny mind. So um, how did you learn about that stuff? Was that through, through university? And, and what made you a shoe nerd? So back when I properly started with footwear, I was literally only 13 years old. Um, I was training at the track the athletic track and a guy called Sam Lamborn came up to me and said does anyone want a fast day job obviously at 13 years old yes me and um he owned a shop called the jog shop which was one of the first sort of specialist retail running shops possibly in the country um well over 30 odd years ago now and um I used to go there work Saturdays and did that up until I was about say 18 19 and went off to university and there he taught me about looking at foot movement and how to align shoes with foot movement and we used to have different brands coming in talking to us about footwear and then how that footwear would align with different foot movements very basic very simple for, for that kind of when i was a lot younger but then as i started to get older he got me involved in sort of buying and understanding that buying um, I then did my own research and learned about the different cushioning types and things like that and how that affected the feet. Um, and then as I went through university and worked at Nike, I also worked at Runners World as well um, and saw different types of feet, worked with different types of people. And I'd say probably my biggest influence on all my footwear noise definitely came from ProFeet. Um, so I was there for just over five years and started as a running technician so a junior technician is what they call it and basically when I was there I shadowed a podiatrist for the first three months of my learning so daily would see clients that he would see for issues for problems injuries and then I would also get hands-on actually analyze people's feet look at flexibility movement of joints um do full body gait analysis so not just looking at the ankles looking at the ankles the knees and the hips as well as shoulders and arms and how they all intertwine um, so that you understand that when you're focusing on supporting the foot and getting the right shoe for the foot, it doesn't just affect what happens at the foot, it affects what happens at the knees and the hips and even the upper body. So 
I then learned from there how cushioning types can affect certain injuries. And it was such a great place to work because we would have continual learning. So, for example, every Tuesday, we'd always sit down for at least an hour and go through the latest research in science on footwear or injury. Um, we'd have speakers come in. We'd work with um, chiropractors at Putney Cairo down the road from us. So it was such a hub of learning. Um, we'd bring shoes up and that's where I learned different lacing techniques. We'd kind of play around and be like, right, what works for this? What works for that? If they've got a bunion, can you alter this? What can we do to the shoe? And it was just such an amazing space to be able to work in because we also had a workshop because we were a, or are, a ski running shop. So they did custom ski boots as well as custom trainers. So I learned how to make customised insoles, to grind them, to actually attach foam material and adapt as much as possible to make the custom fit as good as possible. And I think that environment plus the clientele that I saw definitely brought me everything that I know today. Like I saw things from children growing up with dyspraxia, so with balance issues and problems like that, to people that had been in serious car accidents and had massive leg length differences and I needed to make them insoles to help with their leg length difference. So it was such a vast array of people that I saw to try and help with their gait and running and analysis that, yeah, that's definitely where I've grasped a lot of my knowledge and my I suppose you could say inquisition to always want to learn more and see more and see what's out there. What were the most common mistakes in choosing shoes that that runners were making? So the key thing was definitely it's a pretty colour. I have to say (laughs) it's a classic one. People just go, oh, I really like the colour of this, so I bought it. Okay. Um, Second one, I just went for the most expensive shoe, which is a classic. People assume because the shoe's expensive, it's going to be the best for them. 99% of the time, not always correct um and then another one is not buying your shoe big enough i'd say they're the top three that i had um and when i say that most people should have at least a thumb's width off the end of their longest toe between the end of the shoe that's that's i'd say is is the ideal everyone is different some people have sort of their first finger width but thumb or finger width is the minimum you're looking for to help to prevent against those toenail losses and things like that. Um, so if, if you were advising a new runner um, who has never bought a pair of running shoes or hasn't bought a pair of running shoes for like 10 years, what would you tell them to look out for? So key thing I would be is, if possible, get a gait analysis understand how your body moves um the reason being and i like to use the example of when you go and get a new pair of glasses your eyes done you don't just buy a pair of glasses because your friend's got it and it's exactly the same as theirs and put them on and expect to be able to see you go and get tested you get to put it in someone else's hand to sort out what you need and then when you try them on you go okay yeah that fits well that looks that that works so it's the same with your feet. You're not going to go, oh, because your mate has that shoe, I'm going to put it on and it's going to work great for me. You have to make sure you get analysed and have a look at how it's moving. Now, obviously, I totally understand lockdown. It's very difficult and, and shops are only just reopening to be able to do that. And I do believe some of the independent running stores are opening as well, obviously, with, with restrictions. But if you're not able to do that, uh, my go-to advice for people would be go, to, go for a stable, neutral shoe. Now, what that simply is, is a a neutral shoe where the cushioning is not too soft, but also not too firm. And the main word you'll probably see is is responsive. 
that's huge responsive. It's going to be helping you to get off the ground as quickly as possible once you press into it. So it's going to give you that propulsive energy. Um, that's my been my go-to advice for people because no matter what, if you have a shoe that's responsive and propulsive, it will help you negate injuries to a degree. Yes, we won't know how you move or anything else, but if you're in a neutral, responsive shoe, that's one way to kind of go, right, at least you're in a shoe that's going to be looking after your foot. And then once you get to that point where we can go and have a look at gait analysis and things like that, then you can take that shoe there and they can have a look and go, actually, you were right. Or, well, it wasn't bad, but this is what we think could work better for you. So definitely, if you have no clue, just just go down that route. And what about um, what about minimal shoes? I mean, one of our podcast guests has been um, the lovely Anna McNuff, who you might know of uh, running the length of the UK with no shoes on at all. Yeah, um, amazing. I know. <laughs> um, so uh, maybe there are some people out there who think, well, actually, I fancy running in either minimal shoes or, well, no shoes at all. But how would you advise them? So for me, it's always a question that people throw up in the air and they're like, oh, I bet you don't like it because you like shoes so much. And it's it's not I don't like it. It's that I've, because of how I've worked and who I've worked with, I've seen what can happen if you run in minimal shoes too quickly and the injury that can come from that. But then, yes, I have seen people that run in shoes that are really bulky and everything else and their feet have no control whatsoever. So for me, I always say if you're looking to go minimal, it's a great option in terms of the foot strengthening, but you have to be patient. And I think it's a lot that us as runners in general, when you say, right, I want to run 10K, cool, I'm going to do it in two weeks or in three weeks, I want to be the best I can be in that time frame. We always want to do it so quickly. And I think if you were going to go into minimal shoes from running in, I'd say, a standard style of trainer for so long, you have to be patient with the process because if you do it too quickly, you're going to get injuries, you're going to get calf discomforts, knee discomforts and everything else. Yes, don't get me wrong, there's a there's a percentage of people that when they run minimal shoes, they actually feel better than ever before and they, they feel like they can run faster and move better. And that is great and there are those people out there. But then to flip it, there's also a lot of people who can't get on with that barefoot minimal style shoe and that's also absolutely fine. Those people can walk in those barefoot shoes. You're still going to get the benefits of strengthening your feet, strengthening your lower leg, ankles, etc., just by walking around in them. So don't feel like you have to run if your body doesn't like it but if it does and you want to try that do just build it slowly and i think that's that's where i give the key advice is take your time there's no rush to build to run really far distance in your minimal shoes um and speaking of running in shoes that may not be appropriate for you um so you said that you were working like this pro feet place was more of a kind of a ski shop um and I read that you got a Guinness World Record while you were there. I, I know it's true. So can you tell me what that was about and what you were running in? <laughs> so I was running in a pair of, I don't know if there's any ski, ski buffs or nerds around there, but a pair of Atomic Backlands, which were basically a ski touring boot. Um, so yeah, I did a 100 metre world record in um in ski boots um <laughs> which was an experience let's put it that way my hips knew about it the next day um but yeah they, they just approached us and we had the boots and i was like i'll do it why not so yeah how much was, do they weigh well about a kilo per boot 
<laughs> so yeah, when doing the sprint start, I definitely knew about it. Um, and you got a Guinness World Record. Do you have the certificate and everything? I do have the certificate, not actually with me. I still actually have it in proof. I need to go and pick it up. But um, yeah, I had the certificate and it was it was quite funny because it was one of those things that when I was a kid, my dad always got me the Guinness Book of Records at Christmas. And it was just something that I was like, oh yeah, I'll always be in that one. I'm always going to be in it. And then when I got it, I was like, I'm in it. And in the actual book, they actually put a picture of me standing on it in the book. So I could literally say that I was not just my name, but my actual face was in it as well. So that was a... Yeah, a really proud moment. Oh, that's amazing. And um, the other thing I wanted to ask about, because I don't know anything about this, um, uh, so sorry about this, but um, is Turf Games. So can you tell me about that? Yes, so Turf Games came to my attention anyway a couple of years ago, and I think they're not too old of a brand or company. And um, it's basically trying to bring the idea of CrossFit which I think people see as very culty and very kind of a niche community that they can't be part of but also then bring the fitness industry and people who go to the gym on a daily basis and try and sort of merge them together and the best way I can describe it is like a big day out of adult PE that's the best way I can describe it so you can compile your teams um, in the months before and the first year I did it I had there was a team of five of us five women um, and ironically it was held at my old university um, at Brunel so we competed against other female teams as well and it was just one of the funnest days you can imagine think about um, pushing sleds doing um, lifting bars like you would in a CrossFit star gym but then also doing sort of running events and carrying your partner um all sorts of different things and you compete on each on the day against each other so you had like female specific male and then you'd have a mixed team but you also had two categories so you'd have an elite category and when you say elite they're looking at probably like your pts your coaches people who train day in day out but then you also had a really cool everyday category who was just the average person that went to the gym who enjoyed it and still wanted to compete in that sort of competitive event so that also um, took place at the same on the same day at the same time. So it was really great. It's just to say a great celebration of fitness and and coming together as a community. And it was it, for me, it's one of the best sort of dates in the calendar. Um, and last year as well, they had um, something called Fittest in the City, which was if you'd competed at the Turf Games either the summer or the winter because they have to. Um, you would then potentially get an invitation to compete to be one of the fittest in the city. Um, and I was lucky enough to be invited and compete. And it was an incredible day, a very tough day. Um, I think in the end, we ended up doing five events um, in very quick succession. And um, yeah, out of 32, I believe I came eighth. So I was pretty, pretty happy with that, considering I had no idea what it was going to be like but it was just it was just an amazing environment amazing group of people and everyone's just there to celebrate fitness and strength and your ability to try and do something which for me is what fitness is all about bringing people together yes okay with a bit of competitive edge is always fun but just the idea of having a community around you that support your your efforts to try and get stronger to be your best self for me that's just everything that kind of embodies what I try and get other people to do as well so um so 
in in that regard what's lockdown been like for you because obviously you haven't been able to get together with people um so it, it this must have been tough um what's it what's it been like yeah super tough i think like everyone the first couple of weeks you're just like ah oh, what a bit of a holiday i can actually chill i can actually zone out from what all the madness that was going on and then dial it in and then i think it got to about four weeks in and we got the lovely announcement boris that we're going to continue for another six and um i think then yeah it definitely hit me and i realized that i wasn't going to be able to see friends teach classes and the irony is the, the few weeks leading up to it i'd been sort of my day involved anywhere between 25 to 30,000 steps walking from studio to studio teaching and then I go and train and then I go from training to teaching and that was just my days and I was loving it and interacting with so many people that I didn't realize I was doing until as you said lockdown came in and I was like okay so I'm just seeing my flatmate that's it um so it was it was really tough mentally to kind of deal with it and also obviously the the destruction that this lockdown has caused to the fitness industry as well is has been tough so I was or am self-employed so all that disappeared as well um so it was really tough to get hold of everything considering that I just also went self-employed this year so I left Brophy at the start of 2020 and kind of was super excited for all it was about to bring and it still brought amazing things and that's what I've had to sort of learn and, and think of actually yes okay there's been the hardship and it's been tough but I've actually grown so much more as a person and, and to get through the adversity um but yeah I, I, I super struggled with lockdown and I know loads of people did and I think the interaction that we've managed to have through the medium of zoom through kind of doing fitness um workouts with my friends via zoom and, and doing partner workouts um being able to teach some classes via Zoom, still having that interaction with people, I think has, has definitely been a bonus. But to start with, it was a massive, massive adjustment. Has it adjusted your ambitions in any way? Has it made you think that once lockdown lifts, that life will be different in some way so that you're, the, what you want to do after lockdown, is that different from how you saw it in back in January? I think my goal still remain very the same um in terms of the my key thing as a as a trainer is to empower people to give them knowledge and to help them find like their inner athlete that's like my key thing so that won't change but in terms of my gratitude for being able to coach people one-to-one being able to have that opportunity to be surrounded by friends and appreciate the simple things I think is more where I'm going to change having that appreciation of things that I think before we all took for granted so things like that will will definitely alter within me that's for sure. And so what are you looking forward to once lockdown properly lifts what what do you want to do? A key thing for me as and when we're able is to be able to go to my CrossFit gym have a mass workout with all my friends in the gym and then be really basic and go out for brunch afterwards. (laughs) <laughs> so simple it's so simple but it's they're the, some of the greatest memories that I have kind of pre-lockdown is just being able to do that relax with a group of people laugh joke actually talk I think that's one thing that we've massively noticed yes don't get me wrong social media has grown hugely in lockdown because everyone's on their phones but I think also with all the different movements Black Lives Matter everything else everyone's been having conversations 
So we've actually been talking and interacting more, I think, than ever before. So I think when we come out of lockdown, we're going to probably be able to put our phones down and go, you know what, I'm actually going to have a conversation with you and talk to you. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to, to that, that's for sure, as and when it comes. Fair enough. Yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel. It just feels like that no one is like, I'm going to leap onto a plane and go, you know, go on holiday. It's like, no, I just I just want to have a glass of wine or a cup of coffee with a friend. You know, it's, it's very simple. Exactly. The simple thing. Yeah, absolutely. One thing I wanted to ask was, what's well, about Instagram? Because um, you've kind of, you've, you've got a, a really good following on Instagram now. Um, you do lots of lovely strength and conditioning work. Um, all, and it's all really lovely and relatable and um, and although I can't do some of the stuff you do um, but I'll move sort of <laughs> <on that>. um, <laughs> so um, I find your stuff very inspirational but who inspires you? I think for me a lot of people that I've I'd say sort of grown up in the industry looking at so um, I mentioned her before Jocelyn thompson Rule. she's someone that I I definitely would say that I look up to and very lucky and privileged to be able to call her my friend now and the things that she's done and how she broke into the industry when say in fitness in general women weren't seen to be able to be the strength coach to be the personal trainers and not weren't able to be seen but in terms of when someone was asked to do something they'd usually choose a male PT over a woman and things like that so for me she's definitely someone that I would say that, that I look up to um, but also just in general sort of people and clients that I work with they're, they're people that inspire me because they're people that are everyday people that people can relate to and if I'm honest that's that's all I see myself as as well just an everyday person that has been on the same journey as everyone has had to build up strength have come over overcome injury or tried to overcome injury and I think for me social media if you're just you and you don't have to try and hide behind this oh I'm this person who does this you're just you and you're honest and real then I think that's that's how people can be inspired by because you just do you that sounds really weird to say but I think that's they're people that I align with a lot um a friend of mine Sophie is someone else who I definitely um say is a an inspiration to me she's got cystic fibrosis and um she was told she shouldn't uh, wouldn't live past the age of 16 and she's now about to be 30. So some people like her that just she's done she's run like a half Ironman she's she's overcome so much so for me it's people that kind of are told they can't do things because of X because of Y and then still manage to do that and more they're the people that that give me that inspiration to go you know what it's not that bad things aren't that tough like those simple things uh, for me are are the big things. One thing that we really try and do on women's running is. Um, we desperately try and make the sport as inclusive as possible, desperately trying to encourage all women everywhere to run, um, which can be tough. And I know that there are barriers for, for loads of women. It could be a race thing. It could be a culture thing. It could be a home life thing. It could be because they had terrible experience at school. It could be a mental health reason. How would you try and inspire someone that felt reluctant to run because of one of those barriers? So I would always say that the best thing that you can do is when you start something, you're always going to be a beginner. That sounds really simple, but you're always going to struggle at the start. With any run, no matter how experienced you are, the hardest bit is getting your shoes on and getting out the door. 
and you can you can be the most experienced runner, you can be Mo Farrow, you can be any Paula Radcliffe. Putting on your shoes and actually getting out the door is always a tough bit. Once you're then there, you've already got that success for the day. And for me, as I say, that's what I used to use before when I was super struggling is just having that small little kind of incentive and going, you know, I think I could do that. I think I might be able to. Just taking that step out the door and going, okay, if that means you run for a minute and then you walk for 10 and then you run for a minute, that's still success. You still got out the door and you still moved. So I think we as humans are always so harsh on ourselves and like, oh, well, I didn't do what that. I didn't do what I wanted to be or I didn't do it as good as her. If we stop trying to compare ourselves to other people, and it's so simple to say, but so hard to do, is if we stop doing that, then we'll realise actually what we have achieved and what we can achieve. And I think if you look back two, three months from where you think you're going to get to, looking back and seeing how far you've come is always the best bit. So that journey, it's it's learning to fall in love with the journey, but also realising that you don't have to compare that journey to anyone else's. So, yeah, to start, it, that's the hardest thing once you make that choice to do that and realise that it will help you get better and be better. That, that for me, I'd say, is, is the key thing to remember. So what's your journey then? What's next for you? What are you going to do? What's, when we come back and speak to you in five years' time, what will you have done? So for me at the moment, I think I'm, I'm at that place genuinely where I'm not really sure. Um, I thought I had it all figured out and that's what everyone else I think thought at the start of this year. Um, so for example, now I'm I'm back at home, I'm back in Brighton. I was in London. The whole corona situation has forced me to come back home and you know what, I'm I'm not upset about that. I'm loving it, I get to spend time at home with my mum and and just be and actually think about what I want to do and what I want to achieve and there's not a fault in doing that. As you said, we're always like, oh, must be going this, must be doing that, need to do that next, then do that. This time has definitely taught me that I can just take a step back and go, right, what do I actually want to do? And I've been doing a lot of mind maps, which I really enjoy, um, kind of deciding where I'm going to go next and what I want to do and where my passion actually lies within the sport and the fitness that I'm doing. So for me, it's actually given me a lot of direction and clarity. So I think moving forward is if I can continue to try and help people and and give them little snippets of information that will make running easier, make fitness easier, make them be able to achieve those little strength goals or running goals, then for me that that would be a huge success. doesn't matter how that happens, whether that's in person in classes, whether we end up back in lockdown again and it has to happen through online or anything. So for me, if I can continue to help people understand that strength is for everyone and running specific strength is for everyone as well, then yeah for me that that's going to be a success thanks for listening to episode six of the women's running podcast this episode was recorded during lockdown as you can probably tell the sound recorder and composer was dave newman yes he's my husband and yes he's useful to have around if you don't know one end of garage band from another i hope you enjoyed the podcast Do please get in touch with anyone you'd like me to chat to and do hit subscribe so that you can get your fortnightly dose of women's running chat as soon as I release it into the wild. At Women's Running, we want to inspire you to run, whether you've never run before or you're training for your fifth ultramarathon. We think that women who run need a space for themselves and we want to be that. Every month we talk all things running and all things women. From training plans for specific distances, 
to interviews with incredible runners, ideas on how to improve your running and remain injury-free, to delicious recipes to fuel your running and tons of advice on women's health. The easiest way to get hold of a copy is to go to our online shop at shop.womensrunning.co.uk or you could get it delivered direct to your door or to your inbox every month by subscribing. You can buy the digital edition at pocketmags.com or download the app to your phone or tablet through your app store. For all the different ways to read the magazine, go to shop.womensrunning.co.uk. Do join us. We would love to have you with us. Happy running.